It's fitting that our first reading of Advent begins all the way back in the garden. If you're unfamiliar with Advent, maybe you're new to our church, or maybe you're just unfamiliar with the process of how Advent works, we take the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and have a reading about the coming Messiah. And then the Christmas Eve service, we have a fifth reading where we celebrate that the Messiah has come. And so over the next several weeks, we'll have an unfolding narrative that shows that the Messiah is coming and the meaning of that for us. It's a a way that we expect Him, a way that we are preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. And this morning, our Advent reading doesn't begin in a manger, which is where we typically begin at Christmas. It begins all the way back in the garden. And as Brooke beautifully read, it reminds us that God's story of redemption did not begin in Bethlehem, but it began at creation. It's fitting that that we started there because uh, this first sermon of December... When we should be gearing up for Christmas, we had an Advent reading in Genesis, and we're having our message almost at the end of the story, or at least the end of Jesus' life on earth. We're closing our study through the book of Luke, a collected sigh of relief. We began our study in the book of Luke on December 10th, 2017. It's only taken us about 52 weeks to get through these 24 chapters. And this morning, we are going to cover uh, chapter 24 as a whole. I would encourage you as a a point of personal devotion this week, or maybe even tonight, to read chapter 24 for yourself. We're not going to read the entire chapter today. Instead, we're going to read a portion of it, do a little bit of summary of it, and, and look at what we're learning about the reality of a risen Jesus. Does it matter that Jesus is alive? Last week, we saw a Savior on the cross defeated and condemned. We saw the Messiah put death and all of the known world, all of his disciples feeling despair and depression. And yet today we celebrate a different atmosphere. As we begin to come into the Christmas season, we're reminded that, that Jesus' birth was not only important, but his life His death and His resurrection was a necessity. And we believe in the reality of a living, risen Jesus. We're going to read the first eight verses of Luke 24 together and just see kind of the resurrection story summarized and unfolding. And then I'm going to kind of give you highlights of the rest of chapter 24 as we we look at the necessity of a risen Christ. Let's read Luke 24 starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. These women who come to the tomb expect to find a dead body and instead find an empty tomb. And these men dressed in, I like the way it describes, I believe it says uh, glittering clothes isn't the right word, but dazzling clothes. 
I, I, I think we need to start wearing dazzling clothes to church on Sunday morning, don't you think? Next week, everybody wear their dazzling clothes. These two angelic beings appear, radiantly shining, and they say, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then they point back and they say, do you remember what he said? Boy, that's an important phrase that we're going to come back to several times. Do you remember what he said? That it was necessary that he suffer and be crucified. Do you remember what Jesus said? That he had to go to the cross. Do you remember what Jesus said? That he had a purpose to his life. Much more than just a good person and a good teacher. But the Messiah had a destiny to fulfill. And he fulfilled that destiny through his suffering, through his death, and now through his resurrection. The rest of chapter 24 shows the women running back to the 11 faithful disciples and talking to them about the resurrected Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 24 says these words seem like nonsense to them. And they didn't believe the women. The only one that wanted to make sure it was true was Peter in this account. In Luke 24, it says, Peter ran to the tomb. He stopped in and saw only linen cloths. And he went away amazed. Later, we we see a a narrative of of two men who were walking on their way to a, a village called Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're talking about all of these rumors that are circulating. Have you heard that Jesus is alive? Have you heard that his body is missing? And they're arguing with one another. We don't know what they're arguing about. Perhaps one of them says, he must be alive. And the other one says, they must have stole his body. I don't know what they were arguing about. But it says they were going back and forth when Jesus himself appears on the road and starts walking with them. They don't recognize him. They don't know that it is Jesus. But he asks them, what are you arguing about? And they say, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard? And they tell him about Jesus' death and resurrection. And then Jesus looks at them in verse 27, and he says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Again, Jesus says, don't you remember what you've heard? Going all the way back to Moses. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean the story of Moses. That means the writing of Moses. The writing of Moses begins in Genesis chapter 1. Moses wrote Genesis. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus goes all the way back to creation, the garden. And beginning with Moses, he goes through the entire Old Testament and all the prophets, showing them that the prophets in the Old Testament were saying that Jesus would come, be crucified, and raise again. We are told over and over and over again... Don't you remember what you were told? Don't you remember what was said? Why are you surprised by these things that Jesus is alive? Then when you skip down to verse 36, Jesus has to deal with those 11 disciples that were unbelieving of the women. And it says that he was standing in their midst. The impression is that they were in a room and out of nowhere he just appears. And they all look at them and he says, look, I'm standing here physically before you. Luke's account, he says, look at my scars and come touch them. We find out elsewhere that it's actually Thomas who says, I need to touch your hands to believe. Jesus says, you don't believe I'm physical? What do you think, I'm a ghost? Look, I'm physically here. A ghost would not physically be here. He says, you want to see something neat? 
You want, to, you want me to show you that I'm physically here? Give me a little something to eat. And he eats it in front of them to show. It's not just passing through me. I can grab it and touch it and hold it and eat it. I am before you. And they have a time of, of worshiping together where, again, he goes back to the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and, and all of that in verse 44 and talks about how it must be fulfilled in the person of Christ. It is needed for their faith. And then finally he looks at them and he says, I'm going to have to go away from you for a while. And they're perplexed again because Jesus has just come back. He says, I've got to leave here, but I'm going to send you another. I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. The Holy Spirit will come. And again, we read in other Gospels that Jesus has promised when the Spirit comes, the disciples will do even greater things than Jesus himself did while he was here on earth. In the last part of Luke, verses 50 through 53, we see Jesus somewhere around the town of Bethany lifting up his hands and being carried up into heaven while all the disciples worship him. Jesus leaves the earth again, promising to return. Luke 24, we have a a grand story, a, a grand completion to the book of Luke where Jesus is not left defeated as he was in chapter 23, but he's leaving the earth victorious and sending a promised Holy Spirit. This morning, we believe in the reality of a risen Jesus. We believe that it is true because he physically appeared to the disciples. We read about it in the word of God and we see how he has changed our hearts in our lives. But we live in a culture now where where the miraculous is no longer needed. There's a, a fairly large amount of scientists who are working very diligently to create life. They're working really hard to take something that has no life in it and and have some sort of Frankenstein-type spark so that they can make life out of non-life. One quote in particular I've read recently on a a blog, uh, again, real scientific here, is if we can ever get to the point where we can create life, we will have no need for God anymore. We can do it. God will not be needed. Of course, I, I think that's fairly humorous. Because we read in Genesis 1, God did create life. But what did he use as material? Nothing, right? God created out of... I picture him looking down at these scientists, and if they ever do have a spark of life, which it won't shatter my faith at all, God will go, look, it's good that you did it with the stuff I created. Now do it with the stuff that you created, right? However, we have this culture and this identity of, of we don't need God. We even have churches, Yes, churches who teach we don't need the miracles of Scripture. Maybe there wasn't a global flood. Maybe there was just a local flood. Maybe there wasn't a parting of the Red Sea. Maybe it was low-laying waters and they walked across. Of course, there's a, the story of a, a good old country guy who, who someone came in and told him, you can't believe that the Red Sea parted. What happened was, was the waters were just so low they could walk across a few inches of water. To which the old country boy says, praise the Lord, that's wonderful news. And the man said, I just disproved it for you. And he said, no, praise God that the entire Egyptian army drowned in just a few inches of water, you know. (laughs) We don't need the miracles of the Old Testament, our culture says. And even our churches, some churches even teach we don't need to believe in a resurrection. There are some churches who teach that the resurrection was, was almost a spiritual resurrection, 
It was something that, that was a nice narrative, but not necessarily true. That, that Jesus doesn't have to have risen from the dead. And we have an entire culture who says dead things cannot be made alive again. And so I ask you this morning, do we need the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ? This morning, I think Luke 24 shows us of our need for Christ's death, His resurrection, and His ascension. And we're going to look at that this morning. First, Jesus' death was necessary. Jesus had to die for our faith. And there is no getting around this. Most of us, even very liberal, quote-unquote, Christians, will agree that we need the death of Christ. We see that in Luke 20, uh, 24, verse 7. When it says, it is necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, to be crucified and rise on the third day. It is necessary. The angel says it's not recommended or it's not helpful, but it is necessary that Jesus be crucified. Later on, Jesus says that himself in verse 25 when he's talking to the men on the way to Emmaus. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Wasn't it essential that Jesus die on the cross? And of course, we believe wholeheartedly at First Baptist Church, not because it's written in some statement of beliefs, although it is, but because it's written in the word of God, that Jesus' death was necessary. It was essential for our salvation. Let me explain to you what happens at the moment of Jesus' death. It's not like it's just this, this nice thing and this system that God worked out. No, it is justice. What happened on the cross was uh, ultimate fairness and justice on the part of God's behalf. We read this morning in our Advent reading that in the garden we saw a perfect creation that was corrupted by sin. And because of the sin of Adam and Eve that is filtered down through every generation, we deserve the same penalty that Adam and Eve deserve because we sin the same sins that Adam and Eve sin. Every single person in here deserves physical death and spiritual death. That spiritual death is a, a separation from God enduring His wrath. Now, it is an eternal separation and it is an eternal wrath, which seems a little strange since... Since Adam and Eve just took one bite of apple, right? Just one bite of fruit. A, a nice looking pear that they nibbled on. Maybe an orange that was appealing to them. One bite of fruit has condemned them for all of eternity. Let me tell you why that is fair. It's fair because perfection was broken. Have you ever tried to repair something that was perfect back to perfection? I remember when I was a kid, and I've shared this before, I had traded a friend of mine a baseball card, and he had given me a David Robinson, he's a basketball player, rookie card signed. Now, David Robinson is in the Hall of Fame. This was his rookie card, and it was worth, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks at the time. And it was autographed by him, so it was probably well over $100. I was so excited to have this card. I had it protected. And my younger brother, who is 10 years younger than me, made his way into my room one day and started messing with all of my cards. Now, I've got a bunch of nickel cards and dime cards, but the one he got a hold of was that David Robinson rookie card that was autographed. And all he did was just, just bend the corner just a little bit. It went from being perfect condition, worth well over $100, to being bent and imperfect and, and very much devalued. 
Now, I tried for a long time to straighten that card out, to get the crease out. You know, they tried to, to put something warm on top of it and hope that it would get the, the, the bend out of there. I, I flattened it between books. There was nothing I could do to take what once was a perfect mint condition card and make it perfect again. It, it was eternally altered. And that's what happened in the garden. It wasn't just a bite of fruit. Perfection was eternally damaged. Now do you understand why an eternal punishment is necessary for one bite of forbidden fruit? Because perfection is now eternally broken. And so you and I deserve that death. And you and I deserve to be the ones crucified on the cross. Jesus' death was necessary because it was a substitutionary death. It was a substitute for us. Jesus did not deserve to die. We talked about that last week. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was not a criminal. He was not in sin. He did everything according to God's will and God's word. And yet he was put on the cross. Why? Because he was a substitute for you and for I. You and I deserved death. Jesus said, I don't want them to die. I will die in their place. Without the death of Christ, you and I are still deserving of that death. You and I are still deserving to be separated from God. It was necessary that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, suffer these things. It was necessary that He was crucified. And it was necessary that He takes our place on the cross. But you know, it's not just His death that was necessary. It was It was his resurrection that was necessary as well. Jesus' resurrection was necessary for our faith. If Jesus is still dead, then we have no basis for life. Because that death that Jesus died applied to us, but the life that he now lives applies to us as well. Remember the substitute? What that means is everything Jesus did, we now do. So on the cross, we died to sin. We no longer have to pay that penalty. Jesus does. And the fact that he is alive means now we can live forever. Look at me in Luke 24, verses 46 through 47. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Look at that second word. What is the resurrection equated to? The resurrection is equated to our repentance. Repent is a change from going one direction to another. You can use the word repentance as you're walking. You're walking north, and, and literally speaking, if you're using the Greek word, you're repenting if you turn around and walk south. That's just a change of direction. When applied to our own life, it means we're walking away from God in our sin, and we repent, we turn around, and we walk toward God. In a very literal sense, it means we are walking the path of death, and we turn around in the resurrection, and we walk the path of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks a lot of the importance and the necessity of the resurrection, that we need the resurrection that we have to have the resurrection of Christ in order to be saved. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 says, If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, our, our promise of salvation is in vain. And listen to these chilling words. And so is your faith. Without the resurrection, you don't even have salvation. 
Without the resurrection, you do not have a new life. Without the resurrection, you are still dead in your sins because although Jesus died for you, He has not given you life. The, the resurrection is necessary because it gives us the new life that is promised to us. Down in verse 17, Paul continues, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. This morning, we serve a God who is alive, who has been resurrected and has given himself new life as God and has given us new life through his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was necessary. You know, our salvation is a good starting point for our faith, but it is not the ending point of our faith. The crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ was the the end of Jesus' life here in ministry on earth. But it was not the end of the story. As a matter of fact, we see that as Luke ends, it really picks up in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is written also by Luke, and it's a continuation of the story of God's plan for humanity. And Luke ends the same place that Acts begins, and that is with the ascension of Christ. That Christ has gone, and He has given us the Spirit to continue His work. And what we see is the The departure of Jesus was necessary. Jesus' departure was necessary. It's hard to see someone you love leave. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. We got to spend time with with family. We we got to see loved ones who we don't see all the time. Christmas, hopefully you're doing the same thing. Maybe have some travelers come in or you're going and traveling elsewhere. and, And it's wonderful to be with them. And it's so hard when you have to leave. I listened as Donna was talking about leaving Maine and coming home and how hard it was for her grandkids to say, we don't want you to leave, we want you to stay. I've been there. My kids do the same thing. I do the same thing, right? I may not cry. Sometimes I cry. But I, I want to be there with family. You want to be there and spend time together. Departing is difficult. And that same emotion that, that we feel is, is magnified in the disciples when Jesus says, I know I'm back for for a few weeks, but I've got to go again. I've got to leave. And his departure from this earth, Jesus' departure was necessary. I wonder what would happen if Jesus just stayed on earth and never ascended. I wonder if he just hung out here on earth for forever. I wonder if here today we could take a plane and fly over to Israel and go visit Jesus, who is now 2,000 years old. I wonder what would happen. I really believe the church would not start. I really believe we wouldn't have a church here in our country. I believe that the only faithful people would be a few small gathering there in Israel who are following the physical Jesus around. Jesus understood, as long as I am here, people are not leaving. As long as I am here, they're, they're relying on, on simply my presence and not the presence of the Spirit. As long as I am here, they're going to continue to, to flock towards me when I want them to spread out. As long as they're here, they're going to expect me to do miracles instead of going out and trying to do the miraculous on their own. Jesus says, I've got to go, but I'm sending you someone in return. That's why in Luke 24, 49, he says, Look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then in Acts, we're going to see that empowerment comes and they're sent out from the city. Jesus says, I'm sending you what my Father has promised. That promise is the Spirit. That promise is that instead of us following God around on foot, 
God lives within us. Instead of God the Son being being a place we go to, God the Spirit comes and dwells in us. Instead of us relying on Jesus to do all the miracles, it's God doing the miracles through us. Jesus said, my departure is absolutely necessary. I must go. And so we see in verse 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. We find out in Acts chapter 1, and if you read Luke 24 this week, read Acts 21 as well. Maybe uh, the next day, and see how this ascension continues, and how the promised spirit comes first on the disciples and all those who believe. We see Jesus clearly saying in John the importance of this spirit. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus tells them it is necessary that I leave. Because there is more work to be done. And I want you to be involved in it. This morning, I wonder if you have have experienced the death, the resurrection, and the spirit that God gives us. I wonder if you have confessed your sins so that Jesus substitute on the cross. I wonder if you've confessed your sins and put your trust in Christ so that his substitution on the cross will will forgive your sins. I wonder if you've put your faith in his, his resurrection Claiming the promise that you have new life. You don't have to live how you once lived. I wonder if we've, if we've relied on the Spirit coming in our lives and understood that the power of God lives within us, calling us to continue whatever work He started in us. We believe in the reality of a risen Jesus. We believe in the need for His death, His resurrection, and His departure. And we believe that salvation comes to everyone who puts their faith and trust in His death and resurrection and ascension. We believe that that salvation comes to anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And He believes in your heart that God raised Him from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. We believe that Jesus Christ died for you, rose for you, and wants to give you the power of His Spirit to live in you. This morning as we come to our time of invitation, I want us to examine our hearts and say, do I believe in the reality of a risen Christ? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the salvation of Jesus. Father, we thank You that You sent Jesus to this earth, not just to to be born in a manger and to to be worshipped while He was present physically here, but with the purpose of dying for our sins, the purpose of resurrecting to give us new life, with the purpose of empowering us with the Spirit. Lord, this morning we pray that every single individual in here would confess their sins to You, accept Your substitution on the cross, cling to the promise of new life, and live in the power of of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that each of us in here today would worship you because we know that you have saved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.